Let's turn in uh, God's Word to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, we're reading verse 11 this morning. And before we read God's Word, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help upon us. Our gracious Father, thank You once again for Your Word. Teach us Your ways. Make Your name known. And save Your people. Cause us to have ears to hear and eyes to see Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And humble Your servant as He comes and uh, preaches Your Word. We pray that we would hear Christ and not Him. And that He would be just a mere ambassador and mouthpiece. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 4, verse 11. These are God's words. And He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which He had yet been uncircumcised, that He might be the Father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Those are God's words. This morning we are to observe baptism, I think. If, oh, there they are. I see you now. <laughs> um, praise God. We are to observe the sacrament of baptism. And that is not just for one person. That is for all of us here. Uh, for our seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here in Romans 4, to study salvation. In particular, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you see the goal of Romans, some of you know this, is proving the gospel and then applying it to our lives. Chapters 1 through 3, the whole part of this is, is working to prove the gospel and your need of the gospel. You need faith in Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, our context is proving that this is the same gospel that we've always had throughout the Scriptures from the beginning until even today and unto eternity. It's the same gospel. Despite what you know, like, uh, common dispensationalists say, who say there's multiple Gospels, there's multiple ways of being saved. Uh, Moses was saved one way. David was saved another way. And we're saved a totally different way today. But that's false. Completely false. The text this morning proves that. And the Gospel that we believe under salvation was and is the same Gospel for Abraham. Chapter 4, verse 11 it says, and we, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised. And so the first point this morning, justified by faith. Justified by faith. How is Abraham justified, friends? He was justified by faith. Genesis 15, very clear. And he believed, faith, he believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him for righteousness. Look again at verse 11. It says, a seal of the righteousness 
of the faith. Justification, some of you kids know this. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein He pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us and received, how? By faith alone. Now, just because it doesn't use the word justification in our passage in verse 11, it does, as it does summarizing it in chapter 5, verse 1, that is, you're justified by faith, doesn't mean he's not talking in verse 11 about justification. He is. He is. And he has been since the ending half, last half of chapter 3. Because he's talking about what? He's talking about the gospel. That's why. He's talking about the gospel. And he uses the language of justification in our verse. Righteousness of the faith. The gospel is all about righteousness by faith. Chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 16 and 17, he begins the argument. His argument, the Lord threw him about the gospel. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. There's faith. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Right? We see there he's talking about the gospel when he speaks of the righteousness of faith. And then he goes on. Uh, he, he goes on. And he's talking uh, about the full argument in chapters 1 and 2. We have no righteousness. The Jews have no righteousness of their own. Gentiles have no righteousness of their own. The gospel is all about righteousness. And we do not have righteousness. And then halfway through chapter 3, we're shown that righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Romans 3, verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And it continues, "...whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, a wrath-bearer through the faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God." And so again, we have no righteousness. Righteousness is freely offered to all in Christ. And so we must come to Christ by faith for righteousness and for salvation. Now, does this include works? Do we attain righteousness by our own works? Absolutely not. We know Ephesians 2, By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right Here in Romans uh, chapter 3, again, verse 26, it says to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. And then in chapter 4, verse 2, it says, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. He can't glory before God. What saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. The faith was. Now to him that worketh, is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt? 
But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. And so we're justified, we're accounted righteous before God in Christ by faith alone, not works. And this, was, this has always been the Gospel. Always. This has always been how one is saved from their sins since the fall. And for here we have, chapter 4, two examples that Paul gives. He gives Abraham as an example, and then he gives David as an example. And that application, then he's saying, is the same today. And so all from Adam have the same problem. And we're included in this. Sin. We're corrupt. We're in bondage. We're slaves to sin, as we've learned in the Gospel of Matthew. And we're in unrighteousness. And the answer is that the problem, that's the problem. The answer is faith in Jesus Christ will save you from your sins. And so when we come to chapter 4, what Paul is doing, he's arguing by answering a Jewish objection. He does that in his letters a lot, especially in Romans. Uh, he's saying the Jews, this, this is nothing new. This is old. This is not, just like when he says, this is not a new commandment to love. It's old. Same thing here. He's saying this is not, this is not new. It's old. You see what the Jews of the day had done in throughout history? Uh, many of them had trusted in what? What did they put their faith in? Their works. They put their faith in their works. They even uh, put uh, their faith and trusted in their law keeping, right? And in their circumcision. And their circumcision. But they missed, many of them missed salvation. They missed justification. Look, Jews, at the example, Paul's saying, at, of Abraham and David. You would say, our fathers in the faith. Our fathers, Abraham, David. That's what we just read in the beginning of chapter 4. And you see, if Abraham was justified by works, well, then he had ground to glory and boast before God. He he, he, he would have saved himself, right? If he did it by works. But verse 2 again says, If Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Verse 4, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. And you even children, you understand that. You understand that. As your parents, they go to work, they get paid for work. They, they're owed that payment as a debt because they worked. But justification, righteousness, is not by works. That's not how salvation and justification function. Verse 3, Abraham is accounted righteous by faith. That's Genesis 15, verse 6 again. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. What did Abraham believe specifically in order to be justified, to be counted righteous in God's sight? He believed the promise. He believed the promise that the Lord had made previously to him. And that's the promise that Paul in chapter 4 focuses on. You look at it, verse 13. Notice the language. It says, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. The promise was of righteousness through faith. Verse 16 Therefore it is of faith, what is the it? 
It's the promise. It is of faith, or the righteousness. It is of faith that it might be by grace, not works, by grace to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Well, what's the promise that Paul reiterates Quoting the Old Testament in verse 17, he says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. And so what's Paul's argument again in chapter 4? Abraham was not justified by works, but by faith. By faith he believed. And what did he believe? He had faith in the promise. What's the promise? Genesis shows three things, three aspects of the promise that Abraham believed in so that he was credited with the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith alone. Three things. Those three things are offspring or seed. There is the promise of land and the worldwide blessing. Three things. Seed, land, worldwide blessing. There are many in the church though who hold uh, to a false teaching, a common heir with the covenant made with Abraham. They believe, we're going to come back to those three points too. They believe it was about the physical descendants and a temporal land grant. But this is not ever how the covenant the Lord presents to Abraham is ever given in the Old Testament, nor is it interpreted in that way in the New Testament. The covenant promise involved these things, the three things, but this, even the land grant and the physical descendants. But more specifically, the Scriptures are clear and specific. It's all rooted in Christ. It's all rooted in Christ. And that's where people mess up their doctrine of the covenants and covenant with Abraham. They don't see it rooted in Christ. Galatians 3, the promise was made with Abraham in Christ and received by faith. So Abraham was promised the gospel of Christ, and he believed the gospel promises unto justification, unto righteousness. And so consider those three aspects. We talked about the seed, the land, and the worldwide blessings. The first is the seed, the offspring. These are not just physical promises. This is, that's what we're being taught. All three of these things are not just physical things. They're pointing us to Christ. They were pointing Abraham to Christ, the seed. Jehovah comes to Abraham and He promises him children. He promises him a seed. He promises him many seed. But also in that promise is the promise of one particular seed. The Messiah. Jesus Christ. That He would ultimately come from that seed that led up to Him. Romans 4 verse 18 who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. And Galatians 3, that's the, the promise of the, the, that physical seed, but it's a looking unto Christ. Because Galatians 3 verse 16 says that that from the seed comes the one seed in Christ. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And he saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. And so the gospel promise 
coming through even Sarah in the deadness of her womb uh, and in her old age and Abraham's old as well. And from that seed would come one seed, one messianic seed, Jesus Christ to save His people from their sins, even Abraham. So then the second one, land. Land, the promise of land. Now it's important to preserve that physical land, that, excuse me, the physical seed, unto the coming of the messianic seed. And so He gives them land. How are they going to get there? How are we going to get to the Messiah? Well, He's going to give them a land to protect them. And so the Lord promised land. But the, the land promise is so not just physical, it's spiritual as well. Taking us beyond the idea of that temporal land grant that many in the church wrongly just focus on that. Uh, it goes past that and past the physical seed of Abraham. And just like the temple with the land, there is much of the foreshadowing and the spiritual realities of the future or the, uh, if you're into the hermeneutics or interpretation of Scripture, it's type and anti-type uh, relationship. The promise of the land in itself was conditioned. Notice this. It was conditioned upon faith in the Gospel. That's Hebrews 3 and 4. How did Israel, the first generation, not enter into the land? Not enter into that rest? Unbelief. They did not believe the Gospel. They did not believe the promise. It was not believing the promises. Hebrews 4, what didn't they believe? It tells us the Gospel, verse 2 in Hebrews 4, for unto us was the Gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So they didn't enter the land. God kept it from them. And so it's a false idea that the Old Testament way of righteousness, justification, is based on works. That they didn't enter because of disobedience. Now that's part of it, but that's a result of them not having faith. That's why they were disobedient. The New Testament is very clear. The Scripture is clear that they did not enter because they did not believe. That's Hebrews 4. They were put out of the land. Remember? By Babylon? They were put out of the land. Why? Because they didn't believe. They did not believe. They rebelled against the Lord. And they were brought back into the land after the exile based on what? The covenant promises. The gospel promises. And that's all Ezekiel 36. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit and regeneration there and in Joel and many other prophets. It was all about faith in the Gospel promises. That, that land promise is all about faith in the Gospel. And the result of that is rest with the Lord. And then the third aspect of the promise to Abraham was the worldwide blessing. The first promise to Abraham, Genesis 12, it says, I will bless them that bless thee. And curse them, or curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Galatians 3.8, showing the Gentiles, the nations, will be justified by faith in the promises says, uh, given to Abraham, says, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. And so what did Abraham believe? Romans 4, the promise, which is rooted in the beginning of Genesis to the end, 
and Jesus Christ. And so the promise has worldwide importance in Christ. How are all the Gentiles come in? It's by faith in Christ. And so you see Paul's arguing, he's defending the gospel, that the promised blessings of the gospel of that covenant of grace that came first to Old Testament saints has now come to New Testament saints, both Jews and Gentiles. And Jews, he's saying, Jews, do you understand this? It's not just to you, it's to the Gentiles too. And it's not based on works, it's by faith. And so, friends, Paul's saying, believing that promise was Abraham's righteousness. Verse 11 again, and it says, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised. Abraham believed, verse 16 to the end of the chapter, what? That against all natural possibility, all circumstantial evidence that a child would be born in the barren womb of an old, aged wife, Sarah, together with Abraham being old himself. It's against that hope against hope. Verse 20 says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And when that child was finally born... Isaac, when that child was finally born, the seed, the first child, what did Jehovah command Abraham? Genesis 22, you remember this? Go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice your son on the altar. Your seed, the seed that I had promised. Consider the thoughts and emotions all those years, waiting all those years, decades, waiting for the promised seed to come about. In a son, and uh, and uh, and there was unbelief along the way, right? He 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 considered Sarah not his wife before Pharaoh, I think twice, and uh, he he went into Hagar as well because he 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 lost faith for a moment, right? And he thought he could do it by works, and God said no, and that here we see. His faith, though, in the promise. They're at Mount Moriah, the same place where uh, would be Jerusalem later on, and the temple. This is where the Lord told him to go to sacrifice his son. And he goes to sacrifice Isaac on the altar, and he's about to do so. He has, the language says he's got, he's got the, the, I think it's the knife in his hand, ready to come down, and God stops him. He stops him. And Abraham looks and he sees the ram caught in the thicket, right? And Jehovah says, take Isaac off the altar, put the lamb uh, on, and sacrifice the lamb instead. What was Abraham seeing? Exactly right, he was seeing Jesus. He was seeing the seed. He was seeing the seed. That was promised. Who would ultimately come for the salvation of all his seed. And be sacrificed for them. You see, friends, from the beginning to the end, the covenant of grace rooted in the gospel. We can't temporalize it, merely temporalize it, and take the spiritual aspects away from it, because the Word says, we've gone all over the Word so far this morning, the Word says it ministers, it ministered life and salvation and righteousness through faith. 
to Abraham. And so Abraham is justified by faith. He was a sinner with no righteousness, corrupted, he himself condemned, but counted righteous by faith, not his works, for he believed in the Savior who would come, the promise. And that's what those three aspects of the promise communicated so clearly in the Scriptures. That's what the Scriptures say. And so you can only be justified and made right, righteous in the sight of God by the same faith and the same Jesus and the same promise as Abraham. The seed of Abraham is the only hope of heaven. Because no one anywhere can be justified or justify oneself by works. All of God's Word says look away from yourself and look to Christ. Look to the promise. Stop deceiving yourself because of someone you are or whatever you've done. But now today flee to Christ. Believe on Him. Turn from your sins and turn only to the One who can save you from your sins and make you righteous in the sight of God and reconcile you to Him. By faith. Look to Christ. Verse 23 of verse chapter 4, it says, Now it was not written for His sake alone, but it was imputed to Him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on Him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. If you don't have, if you, if you, if you don't have faith, you can have all of creation all the riches and all of creation. But if you have not faith, you will be lost, condemned, destined for eternal destruction. So what is the only option? The only option is come to Christ by faith and believe on Him. Justified by faith or righteousness by faith. The second point, believers' circumcision. Believers' circumcision. You look at verse 9, it says in chapter 4, Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only? or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Does justifying righteousness only come upon the circumcision or the uncircumcision too? Verse 10, let's look at Abraham as our example that Paul gives us, the Lord gives us through Paul. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Was Abraham justified before the sign and seal were applied to him? Before the sacrament of circumcision? Or after he received the sign of circumcision? The answer is obvious. He was justified because he believed before he was circumcised. Verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Abraham received believers' circumcision. He had the reality of salvation. True, guaranteed to him because he had faith. He had righteousness, the righteousness of Christ Himself. Before he, was, before he received the sacramental sign of salvation. 
The Scriptures are very clear on this. As the Lord called him from while in Ur of the Chaldees, right? In basically Babylon. The Lord has revealed, had revealed the promise to him. The promise we've talked about, uh, right? He revealed the promise in Ur. And Abraham acts in faith by, by leaving based upon the promise to go to Canaan. And yet while he moves, and while he is in Canaan, he waits for the fulfillment of promise the promise of seed in the land for many years. Not always faithful. But it continues and he perseveres in faith nonetheless. And God comes after many years to Abraham again in Genesis 15. Remember, there's many years in between these chapters. And sometimes we forget that. But many years later he comes and he binds him to the promise with an oath. Right? We talked about that in Sabbath school. An oath anyway, in Sabbath school. Uh, the Lord passed through the divided animal carcasses. The Lord is sealing the promise to Abraham. And then He confirms the promise again in Genesis 17 with a sign. Genesis 12, the promise is believed. Genesis 15, the promise is confirmed. And where He clearly states Abraham believed it was counted to him as righteousness. There's justification. But circumcision does not come until Genesis 17. Again, many years after that. After Genesis 15, therefore it is believers' circumcision. Romans 4, Paul stating the obvious for a reason. He's telling the Jew, Abraham's circumcision did not save him. Right? It's not of works. It's not of what you do to your body. It's not anything about who you are. It's by faith. Well, what is, circ- what is this circumcision? Verse 11 again, it says, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised. It's a sign and seal. It's a sign and seal. It's not merely a physical sign marking physical descendants of Abraham. This is important to know. The physical sign of circumcision that is done to the flesh is not just marking the physical descendants or seed of Abraham. As some argue. Our passage shows that circumcision explicitly was not a right given simply to mark out the physical seed of Abraham or to establish national identity or seal merely a promise of some real estate or land. Rather, circumcision was a right that symbolized, sign, and sealed to Abraham all the spiritual realities that were just described in the first point. You can't escape that. That's what Paul is interpreting the whole Old Testament to say. Circumcision is a sign and seal of the righteousness that Abraham had through faith. It's a sign of the reality of the covenant. And so he receives that sign in Genesis 17. But when God comes with that confirming sign of the promise, He mentions the seed. He also speaks of the land. And then he goes beyond that. Abraham, this is a sign to you that not only will I give you, your children, the land of Canaan, but I will be your God and you will be my people. The sign signified the reality of the covenant promise. You see, we see it in the sign itself, how the Old Testament communicates that sign to the Old Testament saints. And to Jesus' day. The sign itself was a cutting away of the foreskin of the flesh, symbolizing cleansing 
from sin. The sign is pointing to the reality of cleansing from sin. When Jehovah comes to Abraham saying, here's a sign, Genesis 17, he's actually saying what? You're defiled, Abraham. You're defiled. You're a sinner. You try to bring forth children, because this is what just happened. You tried to bring forth children by yourself through Hagar. You're a son of Adam yourself, by yourself. That's how you're living right now. You went into Hagar. Your personal righteousness is no good. You can't bring forth righteous children. All your children are going to be like you, defiled, corrupt, in bondage to sin. Something has to happen to them. They're sinners. They must be cleansed. They must be renewed, Abraham. God must provide the basis for reconciliation so that He can actually be their God and they be His people. And it's the sign that circumcision points to. That cleansing promise and renewal. The Old Testament believer was to know this. The Lord made it clear, speaking of the spiritual reality, that the sign points to. Right? And I always tell people, right, it's like, uh, the sign is like a physical uh, railroad sign that points to the reality of the railroad. Right? The sign is not the railroad. It points to the reality of the railroad. And the, the promises that it brings, even um, destruction, right? If you get in the way. Deuteronomy 30, it says, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. And so, Abraham, Genesis 17, take that sign upon you, understand that you, all your descendants, the seed, need this. You need the sign because you need circumcision of your heart. You need cleansing of your heart. Physical circumcision did not give the reality to Abraham. But it was a sign of the reality that he had and he, he did have through faith. Circumcision is a sign of that reality. Pointing to the reality, the very substance of the gospel. That's what the sign points to for a circumcision. Points to the gospel. What's the difference between a sign and a seal? Because here it says, verse 11, it's a sign, but it's also a seal. What's, it, what's a seal? A sign represents something, it points to a reality. A seal authenticates or guarantees something. And when you receive something very important in the mail, sometimes from the government or some, um, some type of certificate uh, that you earned something, you know, earned a, an award or something like that, it usually has a seal on it. Right? Or even the old envelopes that you put the signet ring into the wax seal, right? Showing that it guaranteed this is from that person. Or uh, a diploma you get, uh, it's saying, um, it's saying this seal, it comes with all the authority of the entity that stands behind it. And so even in that diploma, you find a seal on it. It's saying it's the school that conferred this degree upon the one who stands uh, with the name there. Uh, it's, they stand behind that seal. They stand behind this education, that degree, with all authority. And think of that in relation to circumcision. 
What does it authenticate or guarantee? Everything that is promised in the covenant of grace. Everything that's promised in the covenant of grace. But do not think, friends, that a sacrament or circumcision in particular as a seal, that this means it actually affects the thing signified. It doesn't affect the thing signified. And Scripture does not communicate that at all. Rather, it's authenticating the genuineness of the thing promised. We can see that clearly because Abraham already had the thing that was sealed to him. He already had it, righteousness, and, and those promises by faith. He didn't get it in the act or the administration of circumcision to his own flesh. He had it beforehand. Circumcision as a seal is a seal of that righteousness that belonged to uh, Abraham by faith according to the promise through Christ. It's sealed, guaranteed, the righteousness was his by faith according to the promise through Christ. Abraham, you have believed the promise. Therefore, you have everything that is guaranteed to you that, that promise when you believed at the first, you have it all. Even unto eternity. You have it all. And so when he was circumcised after believing it sealed, it guaranteed, it authenticated to him everything God promised in that in a, in a summary statement. I will be your God, and you will be my people. So not only will I justify you through faith, though that is an unspeakable blessing, but more than that, I will be your God for all of your life. I will lead you. I will guide you. This is the promises to all of us who have faith too. The seal. It's guaranteed to you if you believe. I will provide for you. I'll sanctify you. I will bring you to that heavenly country that, that you, Abraham, look forward to and we look forward to. And the promise. I guarantee you that you will not fail to come into that everlasting inheritance. Here's a sign and seal. Circumcision. And I guarantee to you I will be everything for you, everything to you that I promise to be. Everything that's now involved in being your God. And so then what a tragedy it is for the people of God in the church to look at circumcision of the Jews of old and say, well, physical sign, physical descendants, physical lamb. Or in the Bible does it ever say that? And just uh, ever put forward that thought, mere thought, that it's all physical. It doesn't. He put everything of the promise before Abraham first. Abraham believed it all, and God confirmed it, that promise, with a sign and seal of circumcision. Believer's circumcision is what Abraham received. Sign and seal, the promise of the gospel and salvation in Christ by, uh, through, right, through the righteousness of faith. And finally, the last point, the sign received by the household. The sign received by the household. The Scriptures are, are clear. It wasn't just Abraham who was circumcised. God commanded that the sign be applied to all the males in his household. Because the Lord was establishing the same gospel covenant with them. With the children, with the offspring, with his households. Genesis 17. And Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And the same day was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael his son. Ishmael received the sign. Everything, though he would, even though he would end up rebelling and 
breaking that covenant and never possessing what the sign actually signified, he never received the seal, the guarantee, because he didn't believe. He was still given the sign. Why? God commanded Abraham, circumcise your son. Circumcise him and your household. Then Isaac, when he was eight days old, years later, all the Jewish males receiving the same sign at eight days old, as commanded Genesis 17, all the Gentile converts, Gentile converts of the Old Testament, who were never of the physical seed of Abraham, they received the same sign together with all the males in their house. But what was that sign for those Gentiles? Surely it's something different, right? Because circumcision has to be uh, showing forth the physical descendants of Abraham. No, that's wrong. It's the exact same sign. Romans 4, verse 11, tells us that. For Abraham being uncircumcised, all Gentiles are circumcised. A sign and seal the righteousness of faith. And so what, what was it for Gentiles? The only answer that you can come to from the Scriptures. From the Scriptures. Is that the sign had to be the same for them as it was to Abraham. It had to signify the same thing for them as it did for Abraham and his, his physical descendants. It had to be a spiritual sign and seal of the covenant in Christ, signifying cleansing of sin, union with God, justification by faith. You see, there's no warning saying it was one thing for Abraham and something different for everyone else. No, it's the same sign, same importance. And some would receive the sign and, and know the reality. Praise God. There are brothers or fathers and uh, sisters, etc., covenantally in the faith. But others would receive the sign and never know the promises. Never know the reality. And God knew this from the beginning. And so all the prophets are preaching. Jeremiah is telling us that the, the people don't trust in the physical, don't trust in your physical circumcision. Don't trust in that. You need the circumcision of your hearts. Gentiles would come to receive it. And they were never the physical seed of Abraham. They would never have any participation in the land promise, right? They would never have the, the promise of land grant that was promised. Canaan was divided up into the twelve tribes. Joshua, right? That's the book of Joshua. The Gentiles didn't receive any of it. And they never would. And yet the Lord commands, circumcise them. Oh, you say, well, circumcision only sealed the land promise. Nope. They had no part in the land promise. And yet they were circumcised. But it signified to Gentiles in their households that God would be their God as He is Abraham's God. Or was Abraham's God. Is. And that He would justify them through faith just as He justified Abraham through faith. So Romans 4, here's the argument Paul's making. The promise has been fulfilled in Christ. The Messianic seed has been revealed. The international blessing, the gospel and salvation going to the Gentiles, has come and is still coming. Romans 3, verse 29, it says, Is He the God of the Jews only? Is He not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. The blessing of Abraham has come. Unto the gent upon the Gentiles in the church in the New Testament in a great number. And that's the argument of chapter 4. 
The same gospel of justifying righteousness through faith in Christ that was sealed in the sign and seal of circumcision to Abraham and to his seed in the Old Testament. So now we have to ask the question, what has all this to do with baptism? The sacraments are under the Word. Christ instituted these sacraments. To know what they are and how they function, we have to go to the Word of God. And the Old Testament shows us how to understand the New Testament. What, have we, what we have looked at today explains what is about to be done in the baptism that we will see this morning. Because when we come to the New Testament, what we find is that baptism means the exact same thing as circumcision. But it is amplified and applied to more people, all the women. All right? It's, it's inclusive, more inclusive. And now, uh, in, in greater number, includes the Gentiles too. Why? Because Christ has come. And so when we come to the New Testament, we find baptism means the same thing. It functions the same way as circumcision did in the Old Testament. So baptism means the same as circumcision. The Word of God teaches us this. Both are signs of the new birth. Dying unto sin in the flesh. Living unto God. Cleansing from sin. Confirming that God is our God. And His name is upon us. Communicates the same thing. The similarity is established by the Word alone. And yet, Scripture also states the case very clearly for us in Colossians 2, verse 11. It says there, "...in whom also ye are circumcised..." Who is he talking to? He's talking to the church. Most, A lot of Gentiles. He's talking to the church in Colossae. "...in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands." and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The same thing spoken of in Deuteronomy 30. Spiritual circumcision of the heart. He's talking to New Testament believers. He's saying, uh, you've been circumcised with a handless circumcision. A spiritual circumcision. And saying the same thing and communicating the same thing. He's saying it's the same sentence. He's saying the same thing in verse 12. Buried with Him in baptism. Wherein also ye are risen with Him through faith, the faith of the operation of God who hath raised Him from the dead. And so He's giving you, uh, pointing you to one spiritual experience signified by two different signs. Before Christ and after. They mean exactly the same thing. Circumcision And baptism mean the same thing. Second, circumcision and baptism function the same way. For circumcision signified they sealed and sealed the reality of those covenant promises in the Old Testament. So baptism in the New Testament and today. As circumcision marked those who were included in the covenant and established the boundaries of the visible church in the Old Testament, so baptism does today. All churches practice what happened to Abraham. In other words, all churches practice believers' baptism. Every single church. Remember Abraham received circumcision after he believed? The majority of churches throughout history, since the time of Christ coming in the New Testament, also applied the sign of the household of believers, according to the biblical pattern. Baptize them, the household too. Why? Because that's what the Scriptures have always shown. 
doesn't say anything different. That's the biblical pattern. The New Testament shows not only were those Jews being baptized, but as Gentiles came into the church in Acts, the, the process is distinctly marked by the baptism of households. Households. Pay attention. Households. Same thing as Genesis. Then people argue if, if there were children in those households or not. Waste of time. It's a waste of time. Why? The arguments for and against are going beyond the Scriptures. The Scripture says households. It was an established practice from all the way back to Genesis 17. For 2,000 years until the time of Christ. And so take your 21st century self and the Baptist who always goes to, uh, uh, almost always reading from the current day back into the Scriptures. No, put yourself in the first century and see what's happening there. See what's happening there. Interpreting there, not from here. The practice of the sign applied to household today is 4,000 years old. And it's commanded by God. It's very simple. We baptize households. The blessing, the blessings of Abraham have come upon the Gentiles in fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham at the first. Well, how can... Right? The question we have. How can you give the sign, baptism, how can you give the sign and seal of salvation to children? Babies. You don't know if that child has the reality for themselves. You don't know if the child is born again. You don't know if the child is a believer or even will believe in Jesus. Wrong question. Wrong argument. That's not even a biblical question. Let's take the question, that question that's unbiblical, and go back and talk to Abraham. Abraham, your circumcision is a sign to seal the righteousness of the faith that you had even when you were uncircumcised. Abraham, your circumcision is a spiritual sign that you're justified by faith. Same as baptism. How can you give that to Ishmael? He's not even going to believe. Abraham would say, because God commanded me to. With very serious threats. If he didn't in Genesis 17. And you remember what happened to Moses when he uh, was delaying the circumcision of his son. And God was almost about to kill him in judgment because he wasn't obeying his commandment. And thankfully his wife came along and did uh, perform the circumcision. Abraham, Isaac is only eight days old. He will never remember his circumcision ceremony. He has no clue what's going on. How can you give it to Isaac? Because God commanded him to do it. And so the question that we often ask in our day is not biblical. It undercuts not only infant baptism, but it accuses God of being wrong in regards to circumcision. God says, give them the sign. Why? Because the sign does not tell them that they have the thing signified. But the first thing it does do is it tells them the need. They need the thing that is signified. When we baptize the child today, we baptize anybody. But when we baptize this child today, it's being declared to all 
that this child needs to be born again. That it needs to be... uh, That the child needs to be baptized not only with water, but with the Holy Spirit. That this child is a child of Adam and must be cleansed of her sins. And yet if this child lays hold of that which is sealed to her in this promise and takes Christ Jesus by faith, God will be her God. And all those promises that come with that. God will give her all the grace of the covenant to walk depending upon that all-sufficient grace unto death and unto eternal life. This is what the baptism of this child preaches to you today. So you're going to see the sign, and maybe as you sit there, you have the sign yourself. Maybe you were baptized as a child. Maybe you were baptized uh, upon profession of faith when you were older or 40 years old. Whatever it is, doesn't matter. But either way, baptism says the same thing to you. Same thing. Whether you're a month old or 40 or 80, says the same thing. Water baptism cannot and does not save you. Circumcision, right? Does not save you, Jews. Baptism does not save you. It doesn't matter if you say, well, I can't remember when I was baptized. Or if you say, well, I remember that great uh, emotional feeling when I was baptized and everyone clapped or whatever they did. Not that you should clap today when we have the baptism. All of that is nothing if you do not have the reality of the thing that is signified and sealed in baptism. As the water is poured out upon her head, ask yourself, am I trusting in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation? Am I looking only to God's grace away from my baptism to Jesus Christ by faith to justify me? And then cry out in your hearts, Lord, circumcise the foreskin of my heart. Go to Christ for life. But then if you're able to answer that question, you answer, yes, I am trusting in Christ alone for my salvation. Then this baptism and your own baptism continues to speak. Because it tells you if you have and do believe the promise of Jesus Christ that you're justified, that your standing before God is not based on your own merits. How great your love is or how strong your faith is. But your standing before God is guaranteed by the faith, excuse me, by the death and the life of Jesus Christ. And therefore your sins are blotted out. God is your God and He'll never fail you. He will sanctify you. He will provide for you. He will guide you. He will receive you unto glory at the right time. And though at many times your faith like Abraham's is weak, And faints and fails, God has seals. He seals something unto you that cannot and will not fail. And He reiterates the promise here today to you who have faith. Through faith in Christ. I am, this is God's promise, I am and ever will be your God forever and ever. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we're thankful for the many blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. We're thankful for the many gifts of faith that you have given to your people. You, send your, you, sent, you have sent your Holy Spirit upon many here. But we pray it would be true of all. And pray that you would bless us now as we turn to the sacrament of baptism. And that we would not think it to be a work or anything that saves. It does not. It's just water. But Father, we ask that you would turn the heart of all of us, including Aurora, to you by faith. 
that she and all of us would have the righteousness that is of faith. In Christ alone we pray. Amen.